Okay, wait, wait, just a second. I got to plug this. Yow! It's TechBiter Worldwide. I'm Bill Blinn with an hour's worth of technology news in about 20 minutes. That's because we leave out the sports, most of the jingles, the weather, and the commercials. Podcast number 149 for June 28, 2009. Do you tweet on Twitter? Is Apple planning to buy Twitter? And why do so many people who sign up for Twitter... Stop using it after just a few days. Is this just another silly toy for kids? I don't know the answer to the first question. There's been a lot of talk about the second, but nothing definitive. For the third question, I have to admit that I have no clue. That leaves question number four. I can answer that one with a resounding no. Old folks. Those of us above 40 are surprisingly the primary users of Twitter. Some people say that email is instant messaging for us old folks. If that's true, I think I'm keeping up pretty well with the young crowd. I have a couple of AIM accounts, and I use them every day, quite a bit. Email is my primary method of communicating with people. Okay, I am over 40 by a considerable margin, so that makes me an old folk. But I also have a Twitter account. I watch YouTube, I belong to Guru, Pandora, Clipser, Photosearch, Shutterfly, MySpace, Facebook, and Delicious, and probably a couple of others that have slipped my mind, or what's left of it. I have a WebShots page I do stumble upon. I have a WordPress blog, and it's hard to keep up with all this social networking stuff. But if you own a business, you better pay attention. John McCain and Barack Obama both use Twitter, although probably through surrogates. Forward-thinking companies and government agencies are trying to determine just how Twitter can help. NPR's Ira Flato, with Science Friday, uses Twitter to communicate with listeners. The New York Times has a Twitter feed. So does The Onion and CNN. During the recent violence in Iran, Twitter and other social networking services have delivered news from the area. Twitter messages are short, maximum 140 characters. So I can say, and I quote, so after about a dozen attempts to upload a new background image, it's there. But I had to set the background colors again. Too needy. I can't say much more, though. It's possible to include a URL in your tweet. A tweet, by the way, is a Twitter post. But it'll be a shortened URL. The New York Times typically uses tiny URL. But most Twitter users send URLs using bit.ly. Here's another message that I could, in fact, I did send. It is within one letter of being too long. The message was, if you really must know, I'm writing an article about Twitter and other social networking sites. It's a great way to spend a Saturday night, spelled N-I-T-E. I could have used N-I-G-H-T, that's one more letter though, and I would have ended up with zero characters remaining. Maybe that's a new game. See how many tweets you can write in exactly 140 characters. Should we be networking or working working? Detractors point to the amount of time that's wasted by online social networking and call for everyone to keep their eye on the ball, get their nose to the grindstone, and ship up or shape out. Or is that the other way around? The trouble with that attitude is that it really doesn't exhibit a clear understanding of how the world works. Who you know is at least as important as what you know. I might know and recommend the owner of a direct marketing service in Brooklyn, 
and you might hire him, not because he's the best service provider you could find if you took the time to do your homework, but because you trust my judgment, and you know that if the guy in Brooklyn can satisfy me, you might give him a call. That's kind of the basis of social networking. So keeping track of people you've worked with isn't such a waste of time after all, but there are so many choices. Here's a list of some that I'm familiar with. Twitter, Facebook, YouTube, all kinds of blogs, MySpace, LinkedIn, Guru, Delicious, Pandora, Clipser, Experts Exchange, Fotiki, Photosearch, Hello, Monster, Shutterfly, StumbleUpon, WordPress, WebShots, and Second Life. Some are business-oriented, like LinkedIn Guru and Monster. Some are mainly for fun, like YouTube, StumbleUpon, and Second Life. Some are music-related, like Pandora, or photo-related, like Shutterfly or WebShots. And there are the ones for the technology folks, like Experts Exchange. And, by the way, the web address for Experts Exchange is now experts Exchange. Initially, it was spelled without the dash. That led many people to rate it as expert sex change. With all these choices, you could easily spend the entire day and most of the night social networking. Thousands join Twitter each month, but only about 40% of them stick around after just a few days. That's a 60% attrition rate. That's worse than the churn most cell phone providers deal with. Maybe the thrill of talking to yourself in a crowd gets old after a few days. Oprah likes Twitter, but so what? Some would suggest, and I would be one of them, that stars such as Oprah already have all of the forums they need. And maybe they should just stay off Twitter. The Twitter footprint continues to grow, maybe 10 million accounts today. It's another way that we're constantly connected I remember the olden days when some people would simply forget to take their pager with them on a weekend trip. Sometimes it's possible to be too connected, and these days it's hard to get disconnected. Twitter and other microblogging tools took on new importance when a U.S. air flight landed in the Hudson River. People received the news firsthand from eyewitness observers. News media incorporated the reports of amateur journalists. Is this good or bad? I don't know. For all their flaws, newspapers serve a worthwhile purpose, and we will miss them when they finally disappear. So who's out there doing all this tweetering and yammering? Uh, This was a surprise to me. People who are 35 years and older dominate Twitter. Younger users are there, but it's mainly us old folks tweeting to each other. If the tech-savvy kids aren't adopting Twitter, does it have a future? From the personal contact perspective, Twitter... Yammer and the other microblogging services deliver a valuable tool for people to get in touch and stay in touch in our hectic and sometimes chaotic world. And yes, there is a service called Yammer. It's intended for communication within a work group. People can have conversations with fellow employees, consultants, suppliers. It allows a profile and a group list that you can check, post to, and check from your computer or phone. Some companies have seen the value in these services. Companies around the globe use Twitter to talk with customers, sell products, and improve customer support. Dell and HP sell used equipment by using Twitter. FedEx, JetBlue, and Whole Foods Markets are among the users who see Twitter as a way to improve customer relations. And aha, the light bulb begins to illuminate. Technical and customer support organizations have found that microblogs and social network tools 
are very effective in delivering service. They can be used to enhance and expand customer relationships. Most of the social activities have been adapted and adopted to improve service and lower costs. This is according to the Society for New Communications Research. But there is a darker side. The Internet and Web 2.0 social networking tools have helped to produce kind of a mob mentality that feeds the monster bent on damaging individuals, companies, and brands. People will freely say on these services things they wouldn't say in face-to-face encounters. Many companies are exploring and using social networking tools to touch, assist, and learn from their customers. But these same companies are concerned that somebody in the organization will simply make an innocent remark or perhaps a malicious statement, and then the fecal matter will be distributed by the rotary impeller. Mark Twain said a lie can travel halfway around the world while the truth is still putting on its shoes. And he was right. Those organizations that are already using the social media at least have some understanding of how to use these tools when something bad happens. And, by the way, you can follow TechBiter Worldwide on Twitter, visit the TechBiter Worldwide website, and click on the Twitter symbol. Or you can go to Twitter, www.twitter.com forward slash TechBiter, T-E-C-H-B-Y-T-E-R. It had been a while since I added a hard drive to a computer, but two events conspired recently to convince me it was time to open the case and install a drive. One of the two external Seagate USB hard drives was beginning to show signs of age. It's a 200-gigabyte drive, an antique by all standards of today. It holds most of my music files and some generic photos and clip art. The second factor was an ad from Micro Center offering a 1.5-terabyte drive for $120. I spent more time driving to the Micro Center store, about five minutes from home, buying the drive, they were selling a lot of them, and returning to the house, then I spent installing the drive. Before I left the house, I opened the case to remind myself what was really in there. What I found were two SATA hard drives and two SATA DVD drives. Bummer. That meant I was out of SATA ports. I'd need an extra drive controller. The motherboard had two spare PCI slots and two spare PCI Express slots. So my goal was to use one of the PCI Express slots that would deliver the drive's full 300 megabits per second data transfer rate. A standard PCI slot would limit the transfer rate to half that. Adding the controller card to the purchase turned that $120 project into a $180 project, but actually that still seemed to be a pretty reasonable price for 1.5 terabytes of storage. Back at home with the hardware, I shut down the computer, unplugged everything, removed the cover from the other side of the computer, and put the computer on its side. The first order of business would be to clear some space around the PCI Express connector. A firewire adapter was blocking the slot that I wanted to use for the controller card, so I moved it up and was able to then reposition the cable a bit to clear space around the PCI Express connector. After plugging the data cable into the card, I slipped the card into the slot, put in the screw to hold it in place. Part 1 complete. The new hard drive would need to go into the third drive bay at the bottom of the case. Access was blocked by the sound card and the card's ribbon cables. That was easy enough to fix. I removed the screw that held the card in place, extracted it from the slot, draped the cables over the side of the case. 
Before sliding the hard drive into the bay, I attach the power cable and the data cable. It's easier to do that when you're holding them in your hand than once you get them in place. With the drive in place, I inserted the screws provided by Seagate, restored the sound card to its location, replaced the screw that holds the sound card in place. Then I flipped the box over, inserted the two screws in the other side of the drive, and then replaced the side of the case. This is usually the time when something goes wrong. You turn the computer back on, and it won't boot for whatever reason. Before returning the computer to its proper location, I confirmed that I had reconnected everything that I'd unplugged during the installation process, and I checked to be sure that all the data cables and power cables were positioned reasonably. I plugged all of the external devices back in, plugged in the power cable, started the computer. Windows noticed a new device, asked for the appropriate driver disk to enable the controller card. Before I could use the new drive, I had to partition it and format it, of course, so that took me to the Windows Disk Management Console. I decided on two partitions, one nominally 800 gigabytes, the other 700 gigabytes. Because the drive that held my audio files had been acting a bit strange, I copied all of those files from the system's hot backup drive instead. And that was it. A real bonus was that I had everything I needed. I remember the days when some devices were sold without important parts. Disk drives came without cables, for example. Why? The disk drive came with a SATA data cable, a power cable, a jumper, and four screws. Interestingly, the adapter card also included a data cable and a power cable. Really, everything should be this easy. In short circuits, what do you do if you receive an official-looking message from Microsoft? The return address, no reply at Microsoft.com. The message tells you that an update has been released for Microsoft Outlook and Outlook Express. It cites a knowledge base incident number. It contains a link that says it goes to Microsoft. Click that link and you'll be asked if you want to run a program. Run the program and you'll install a backdoor banking trojan that allows a remote user to access and steal sensitive data. It also gives the intruder remote access to your computer. So, no, I didn't click the link. But I'm willing to bet a lot of people did. First, I know that Microsoft doesn't send out messages like this. So it was unquestionably a fraud from the start. That could be the end of the story, but you know me. I'll keep going. The Knowledge Base article that they cited, which, by the way, was KB910721, appears not to exist on Microsoft's website, so that would be another clue that there's something amiss here. The next clue, Outlook, and there was no version stated, there are several versions of Outlook, is a totally different application than Outlook Express. The two applications were even developed by different teams at Microsoft, and they share very little code. They are never updated with the same patch. Yet another clue, which may be specific to me, the message was addressed to batworks at spamarrest.com. I have a spamarrest account. In fact, that's where I found the message. But the email address associated with it is definitely not batworks. If Microsoft sent broadcast messages such as this, and it doesn't, Microsoft would know enough to send the message in a way that it didn't display the wrong address in the two-line. Later, I received another copy of the message. That one was sent to BaysMed at SpamArrest.com. Oh, and the final clue? Hover the mouse over the link and notice the target address, IJLKIJ.com, which is not registered to Microsoft. 
Microsoft has a deal for you. Buy Windows 7 now and they'll ship it to you in October. They're offering only two versions, the $50 Home Premium, which I would not recommend, and the $100 Professional. It's not the ultimate, but it's acceptable. If you have Windows XP and you're satisfied with it, you might be wise to avoid the urge to send Microsoft money. For one thing, you'll have to format the drive, install the operating system, and then reinstall all of your applications. Naturally, you'll need to have your data backed up too, but you should be doing that anyway. On the other hand, if you're handicapped by a Vista, the upgrade will be welcome. You'll still want to have a complete backup, but Windows 7 should at least install as a Vista upgrade. Individual buyers may purchase up to three copies of either version. That's a total of three, not three each. I still think that Microsoft should offer just one version of the operating system like everybody else does, not a confusing array of options. If you'd like more information, visit the Microsoft website. You'll find a link to the upgrade FAQ on the TechBiter Worldwide website, www.techbiter.com. The folks at Wolfram Alpha say their new search engine isn't a search engine, and they're right, it's not a search engine. Instead, it is described as an ambitious, long-term intellectual endeavor that will be developed over the coming decades. Currently, it contains more than 10 trillion pieces of data, more than 50,000 types of algorithms and models, and some surprising linguistic capabilities. If you try to use it as a search engine, you'll be disappointed. But if you use it as intended, you'll find information that would be difficult to obtain otherwise. I decided to see what I would get if I looked for November 22, 1963. That is, of course, the day President John F. Kennedy was assassinated in Dallas. The information returned was useful, the number of days between then and now, for example. The notable events that occurred on that day were limited to three, and two of the three dealt with the Kennedy assassination. I selected that date because I happened to know that that was also the day that Aldous Huxley, the author, died. This wasn't mentioned when I selected the more link, and I was told there was no more information about the date. You might wonder how it is I know that Aldous Huxley died on that date. I confirmed the information with Wikipedia and other reference materials, but my first clue came from Sheryl Crow's Run, Baby Run lyrics. The song begins this way. She was born in November 1963, the day Aldous Huxley died. That seemed to be a strange reference when I first heard the song, so I did some research. So then I thought to ask Wolfram Alpha what it could tell me about Obetz. Obetz is one of the southern suburbs here in Columbus. I quickly found the population, 4,079, and the location, 39.88 degrees north, 82.94 degrees west, the temperature, it told me, was 79 degrees, and I was offered some historical weather data. My next attempt was Brussels. Wolfram Alpha assumed that I meant Brussels, Belgium, and that's the one I meant, but it also offered to show me results for towns with the same name in the United States and Canada. Wolfram Alpha says it will evaluate formulas and report financial information about companies. This is a service that is not going to replace Google, but it's certainly one that's worth watching. Maybe I should have used Wolfram Alpha to look up Bozeman. 
Bozeman is a town about halfway between Billings and Butte in Montana. It's probably not the place that most rising stars in municipal governance aspire to work. But Bozeman's city leaders decided that to ensure candidates considered for positions of public trust should be subject to a thorough background check. Fair enough. Check the references. Have your police department run a wants and warrants check. Maybe even specify a drug test. That, I would think, would be sufficient. Not, however, for Bozeman, Montana. The city of 28,000 recently started asking job applicants to provide their usernames and passwords for each of their Internet accounts. Even in a town the size of Bozeman, I would expect the city attorney to take one look at that request and immediately demand that it be eliminated. Maybe Bozeman doesn't have a city attorney, or maybe the decision was made by some human resources clerk, even though HR people really should know better than to ask for information like that. But Bozeman began collecting the usernames and passwords for applicants' Facebook, MySpace, and Twitter accounts. It collected usernames and passwords for their blogs. Along the way, somebody suggested the city would next start asking for each applicant's old love letters. Then there was some backlash, and that caused a bit of common sense to kick in. A week ago last Friday, the city manager of Bozeman, Chris Kokolsky, said the city would stop the practice immediately. So that incident has given Kokolsky his 15 minutes of undesired fame. Try a Google search for Chris A. Kokolsky, and you'll see for yourself. As for the passwords the city has already collected, well, it seems like they're not going to be deleted. They will simply remain the confidential property of the city. The Montana news station ran an online poll, and polls of this nature are essentially useless because they do not poll a scientifically selected cross-section of the population. But nonetheless, I'll quote it here. They asked the question, what do you think of the city of Bozeman requiring job applicants to provide social network site login and password information? 99% of the respondents opposed. 1% supported, and 1% said they didn't care. The poll, of course, sums to 101% because of rounding errors. Thanks for listening to TechBiter Worldwide, the podcast with an hour's worth of technology news in about 20 minutes. I'm Bill Blinn. Check out the website, www.techbiter.com. And if you like, send me an email from there. Thanks. Bye-bye.